Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it was the end of August. I was playing volleyball out at Newburgh. And there was a ball, it was going out of bounds on our side, and I reached back fast and out and back. And I hit the ball back in play, but I really tweaked myself. I mean, don't say it. I'm getting older, okay? And the pain was immediate. I mean, it was like a stabbing shot in my arm. I had to get out of the game. I shook it off. I got back in, but I had to keep my wings in. And I've had to kind of keep my wings in ever since. Went to the doctor thinking that maybe I tore something. He said, no, there's, there's nothing to surgically repair. You got some sort of tendonitis and a bit of a frozen shoulder. So I went to uh, um, physical therapy for a while, and I keep doing exercises myself. And still to this day, I, I, it hurts a little bit. And you might see me try to put on a coat or something like that, and I can't get the other sleeve because because of my shoulder and when it hurts i'm like well what does it need does it need hot to kind of stimulate blood flow does it need cold to take away swelling does it need cold and then hot or hot and then cold i usually just give up and take advil but there's a question there that's a metaphor and the metaphor is this There's a bigger wound in my shoulder that every one of us carry and that everybody in the world has. And and it's not just discomfort. It's serious stuff. It is about eternity. And what does a person need at any given moment? A lot of the times we assume that they need to hear about Jesus. But if they don't even know that they have a problem, what good is Jesus to that. So sometimes you need law and sometimes you need gospel. And it's incorrect to say that John the Baptist was law and Jesus was gospel. Both of them spoke law and gospel. But for sake of this illustration, I'm going to say John the Baptist overall, his ministry was law and Jesus overall, his ministry is gospel. Um, Understanding that there's plenty of exceptions to that rule. So John the Baptist was sent first. And his message was spoken in a, usually a harsh term. You would think nobody wants to hear this stuff. Yet people walked long distances in what would have been, at least in summer, blistering hot. I put it in Google Maps. I think it was like a nine-hour walk is what it showed. But that's going out. That's nine hours downhill. There was no escalator or, or bus to take you back. You walked back, or best you had a donkey or camel or something like that. So this, this is a big old hike for, for what? To get your chops busted by some guy in camel's hair. He, he was sent, not just for comfort, but to make people aware. Now, 
the people of Israel, they, they believed in the Messiah. They didn't have to be convinced that there was a Messiah coming. They just had to be convinced as to what kind of Messiah they needed. They thought they needed some sort of military deliverer. They looked at themselves. And in general, I think a lot of them thought, hey, I'm keeping the law. I haven't broken the Ten Commandments in any egregious form. I go make my sacrifices. And so according to their low standard, they were doing fine. The rich young ruler, when he's asked, what do you keep the law? I keep all these from my youth. That was his impression of himself. It was a wrong impression, but it was an impression nonetheless. Right? So they need the John, John the Baptist to call them to repentance. And as John spoke to them, clearly the Holy Spirit was there as well. Because people who came feeling maybe a little bit smug and self-righteous walked away with their tails between their legs for a nice nine-hour hike, while probably longer, uphill. And if you don't see that you have a problem with sin and that you have a separation from God. Who cares whether Jesus died for you? That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even register as as a need at all. And we have today, in our world, our own self-righteous. Ironically, this group likes to point at people in church and say, oh, there's all those self-righteous people. And sure, there's a few very poor theologians who sit in pews and claim themselves to be self-righteous. But ironically, it is them, it is they who are self-righteous. They say, I'm a good person. That's self-righteous, isn't it not? A good person compared to whom exactly? Yeah, you're not on the post office wall, but but will you hit the standard that God set? I can tell you for certainty the answer is no. God's standard is sky high. In fact, so high that you can't even have a sinful nature, which is something you've had since you've been conceived. So technically, from the instant of your existence, you've failed. And people who go through this life to the end, thinking, I'm good, I'll be okay with God, I can tell you are going straight to hell. It's going to be a shocking revelation for them. You don't make it by some standard of being good. Being good has a different value, but saving you? Uh Uh-uh. So people who think they're good persons... Maybe need a little shot of the law first. They need to understand God's standards. They need to understand themselves. They need to be able to look inside themselves and say, like we've said, and actually believe it, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by things I have done and things I have left undone. And it, it stuns me, but I've been trained in this, how some people can be so unself-aware. You gotta know that there's something wrong with you. It's pretty darn obvious to everybody else. Then there's another subset 
that drives me even crazier. There are people who say, oh, it'll be all right. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God's word. I don't need church. I just, it'll be fine. Everybody will be fine. You know what? When I go on a trip, I try. I try to research the places where I'm going to stay. I've been burned a couple of times. So now I want to know. What did other people say about this place? Is it worth putting my money down? I research it. I am driving a car that I planned to get rid of five years ago. Why? Because there's no cars to relieve and test drive. Do the automakers think, I'm just going to take their word, I'm going to look at a picture and say, that's a pretty one, and drive it around? You think... I'm going to sink 50 grand onto something I've never even sat inside. They got another thing coming. I will drive that car until I'm walking with the steering wheel in my hand. (laughs) I am not going to buy an undriven, sight unseen car. Even worse, a house. I realize people live, go across the country. It's tough to walk inside a house and it's extremely competitive. But I am not going to sink 500000 into something I've never laid eyes on. I know how tricky pictures can be. I've gone to hotels where it looked like it had a giant pool and I could step across it. How can people then come up to the most important thing in their existence? Life after death. You're going to die. That's a fact. How can people walk up and say, eh, I don't need it. It'll be okay. I'm not going to look at the, I'm not going to look at the Bible at all. We'll just, we'll take our chances. I guess some people do all those things, but in my mind, They're nuts. And then there's those who feel very convinced that their religion is right and good. And and I feel very disabled on this point. I grew up Christian. I grew up Missouri Synod. I almost wish that I hadn't for this point. But if those of you who know me talk to me enough you will know that I am rebellious enough that if I did not think it right, I would not be here at all. I am not sticking here because it is the religion of my forefathers. My forefathers barely got their tail out of bed for for church. So it is not some long-standing tradition that holds me in place. I stay here because I think it's the closest I can find to the truth. Now you can go and examine the worldviews of uh, other world religions or the prominent non-religion, the sort of the materialist worldview, and say, well, what proof do any of these things have that they're, that they're correct? And I find in the world religions 
Nothing that comes close to satisfying to me. I find it massively full of holes. And as far as the materialistic worldview, no, I don't find scientific proof for it. I find exactly the opposite. And I find that the more we know, the less it seems to even be possible. But if you want to cling to it, if you want to say this has to be it, then who can help you? So sometimes people need the, the law to be challenged on those points. They will never see any need for Jesus if they're not challenged on those points. For human beings, we've got to realize that we're broken first before we can ever be fixed. Sometimes that takes multiple tries. You know, John the Baptist sends some people back to Jerusalem with basically the message, try harder. And he did it knowing that they're going to fail better. Jesus did the same thing to some people. Go and sin no more. Go and do this. Go give up all your money. He didn't say, well, that'll fix it for you. No, he knew that they weren't broken enough. And he's going to let them go out there and fall harder on their face. And then maybe, then maybe they will see the need for an outside Savior. For what Jesus came in the first place. For a Messiah that didn't care at all about the Romans, but cared everything about Satan. And that they would seek out to be baptized into his name to share his righteousness to already have their punishment fulfilled in Jesus to receive from him forgiveness of sins because that is the big problem that we have to receive from him a relationship with God that is actually legit and not imaginary to receive from him a life that now can take on some real character from God and really be righteous and valuable and then the biggie a whole new destiny that's what people would need then at some point you can say Jesus loves you And this is what Jesus dying did for you. And this is how you get connected to that through baptism. That's what they need to hear after they understand the problem. Now, I'm talking, I think, mostly to the choir. Yes, people who have been brought to that point anyway. But I will make an observation that we are all still here. We are not in heaven at this point. Which means that there does remain this sort of hanging danger. I do not believe, we do not believe that the Bible says that once you're saved, you're always saved. It says that God goes through extraordinary means to defend you, but you can throw it away. You can be that fool who throws it away. So part of the task isn't just to get people to Christ, it's get, to get them to remain in Christ. And John the Baptist isn't around anymore, so that's why we have the Holy Spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit's got to apply to you law, gospel, and he's going to apply it as, as you need it. Sometimes with sinful nature, you're just sort of heading toward unrepentant sin and you need to get busted on that. And, you know, he wants to do it the soft, easy way. But if he can't do the soft, easy way, there's always a little bit harder, more embarrassing way. And sometimes we we take in the poisonous falsehoods of this world and they can um, undermine the gospel. And you need to be warned of that. And you need to be convinced of that. And some of that convincing, all of that convincing is going to be the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it's going to come through people to you. And we need the Holy Spirit to lead us to the things that God has left here to keep that connection with Christ alive. The power of God's Word. The power of confessing your sins and receiving forgiveness. The power of the Lord's Supper. And this call to not just think of it as something that's taking care of the distant future when you die, provided that's distant. But it's, it's about life right now. That you will walk with and serve with God. And so we need a long gospel as well. And sometimes we need to give it to each other. To kind of close up, I want to make another kind of analogy. I don't know how many of you have seen at least clips of the ends of uh, an Iron Man competition. Ever see something like that? Iron Man is is just a brutal test of physical fitness. I believe I don't remember the distances. I think it's like a two mile swim to start. They put that at the beginning so that people don't drown, I suppose. And then you got a bicycle a long way. And then you have to run a marathon at the end of that. And I look at that and say, unless there's a boat and a car in there, I'm not doing any of that. But people do it. And sometimes they do it just barely. And that's what I'm talking about. They'll come into the finish line and they've spent every last bit of energy their body has. And they're wobbling around like they've been hit with a, with a dart gun and they can hardly make it to the finish line. And some of them are so depleted that embarrassingly in short nylon shorts, they lose control of their bowels and stuff all right there in front of a camera. I mean, it's pretty ugly. But one of the more beautiful parts is sometimes when you see, you know, this person falling apart and they're, after all of this, within a few hundred yards of the finish, that one of their competitors who still has enough energy comes up and grabs them and basically holds them up and carries them across the line. And that is what we are here for, for each other. I mean, yeah, there are people who are disconnected from Jesus and we have a role, either law or gospel, in in helping them toward that end. But once we are in Christ, we want to get across the line. And sometimes we are wobbling across the line. And we need to find each other 
and hold each other up is one of the primary reasons why we think I think we have church at all. Right? For that very reason. So think about that. And the people of your life. And the people in your church. You John the Baptist in a given moment? Are you representative of Jesus in a given moment? May God give you guidance as to which and the words and actions to share. In Jesus' name, amen.